Welcome to the Almost Awakened Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful to be back with my three good friends, uh, Brittany Hartley, Anthony Miller, and Janice Spangler. Uh, glad to have you guys back on to have this conversation. How are you guys doing this fine Sunday morning on October 15th? August. October. Oh, I'm sorry. August. August October. 15th. I'm getting excited. In October, <laughs> in the middle of the month, I'm going to a reggae rise up reggae concert. And reggae music is my favorite music in the world now. And I used to never even know what it was until... About a year ago, year and a half ago. Well, so it's still August, Bill. It is August. August 15th. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Great. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Good, good. I just love the three of you. Anytime I see your guys' faces, I, I smile. You guys are just good humans. And it is so fun to be a human on a journey with other humans and to be around good people who are thinking about these big things and reading books and trying to learn and wrestle with stuff and working on themselves and this is the journey. So here we are. This is session number eight from Jack Cornfield. This is the uh, Buddhist psychology uh, or psychology of Buddhism. And um, I, I didn't really feel like there was a darn new thing in this entire conversation. And yet I was enthralled with every word that proceeded from his lips. And uh, I made a ton of notes as it sounds like you guys were thinking a lot about some of this too. Um, I'm trying to think where to start. I know he tells this story and I, I, he tells a joke and I thought it was funny and it kind of hits, I think, on the, what this whole uh, session was about. He talks about these, this family out in the desert on camels and the, the father's on a camel, the mother's on a camel and they've got their supplies. And then on the camel behind them is all these kids and the father turns around and looks to the kids and goes, uh, no, we're not there yet. And would you stop asking for crying out loud? We're nomads, right? And and I, it's a cheesy joke. It's a dad joke. But I, I laughed like uh, pretty hard at it this morning as I was listening to it again for the fourth time or whatever it is and still chuckling at the joke. And um, your thoughts, we are the kids, right? We're always wondering what the next thing is. Where are we going to get there? How are we going to get this thing? How are we going to, you know, how are we going to grab on to the next thing that entertains us, appeases us, makes us happy in the moment? And constantly we we children on the on the back camel, we're, we're chasing something that really may not be there. Your thoughts on maybe trying to help me set up kind of the paradigm for this this session that we can can dive into. What do you guys think about the camel joke or what does it remind you of? Yeah, well, I, I really related to it um, in the way that you're setting up, Bill. I mean, I think we are the children. I think our particular society, our American society, um, really lends itself to this. You know, we have these strong ideals of achievement and individualism and comparison and materialism and, and all of these forces that, uh, that kind of set us up for this. You know, our, our first half of life is all about figuring out what the next step is, what we're going to go. We've got the path laid out. And, and, and I'm not saying those are bad things. They, those are good things to help us set ourselves up for a good life. But, um, but I am just really cognizant that we, we, it's about, it's the only thing we're teaching. <laughs> and so we're not set up well necessarily for more of a second half of life that, um, that gets us beyond just these pursuits, because I think there's a balance to be had between all of those pursuits and the things that we're trying to do. And that, you know, meeting the unmet desires of our heart throughout our lives. Um, but I think the way that we go about things tends to make us skim over the surface of our lives reacting, not really noticing what's going on, being really dependent on um, on our outer worlds and what is actually happening to us versus um, really being agents to act in our lives in more um, thoughtful ways. Yeah, I love that. 
I love that. The uh, he talks about raw materials, and, and what he really means is our senses. He he's talking about how we gather um, our perception of the world, and and I like that word raw materials. Right, you've got your sight, you've got your taste, you've got your hearing, you've got your touch. That's four of them. You've got your taste. What are the other? What's the other one I'm missing? Smell. Smell. And then the sixth one is uh, our our mind with our, our feelings mind. and thoughts is mm. the sixth. Yeah. And maybe the most important of them all. Um, it is how we take in the world and we are constantly looking for those six senses to be enjoyed by us, right? Like I, I go to a good Indian restaurant here in Southern Utah. My wife and I go about once a week and at least once every other week. And um, it is the most amazing food in the world. And just to taste it is like... My wife, again, I don't want to get like vulgar or anything, but my wife, my wife wants jokes. She's like, do you want to go home and have sex or do you want to stay here and finish this food? I'm like, oh, let's stay. This is so good. And we're doing that, right? Like we go to a concert to hear good music and we, we go to a play to watch this theatrical thing happen in front of our eyes. And we're constantly wanting to enjoy the world as we perceive it and, and try to knock away all those things that, that we don't like, um, the, the point of the session was to try to get us to, to see that chasing things down is never going to work. You're going to constantly be disappointed. And even in the moments when you get what you want, as soon as you get it, you now want the next thing. You're never satisfied. Any thoughts as you guys listen to this session eight on how do we make a cons- like like we've all felt being present certainly the four of us have and certainly millions and millions and millions of others I-, I think maybe everyone maybe all the billions on the earth have been present at least in a moment how do we find that on a consistent basis like what do we do to feel that all the time i think that's what he's trying to get us at is how do we feel that all the time what what are your guys' thoughts i think one place to start that he talks about i don't have necessarily the answer to that because it's a it's a path, right? It's a you're you're learning how to do that um, every day and every moment. There's an opportunity to do that, and even the greatest meditators sometimes, um, you know, disconnect from themselves and have to come back to themselves, and that's part of the process. But one thing that he did say um, was that a place to start was to notice your habits, and that over time these senses and these feelings and how it relates to our actions, you can sit and begin to notice your habits. And that, uh, so for example, if I'm going to be personal, my family was with me the past um, two weeks and my house is kind of like the central home, you know, hub for my family to be there. And I noticed that I was just like stress eating, like just snacking throughout the day just to kind of, and I just, it's just that moment where I just had to step back and noticed, oh, being around all of my family <laughs> brings up some feelings. And the habit that I have with that is that I run to my freezer for my secret stash of chocolate. And I've been snacking on that quite a bit today. <laughs> and maybe I need to just kind of name the feelings that I'm feeling, you know? So I, I think a great place to start is just to look at your habits of of what do I do when I feel something? Do I feel aversion so I want to go drink too much alcohol so I don't have to feel that thing? Do I feel grasping where I'm going to go online shopping so that I don't have to feel that thing? Or am I going to be delusional and just pretend that it's not there? Anyway, so I, I, I think 
in the in the path of trying to figure yourself out and to really know yourself and to even begin to make changes with yourself a great place to start is just to notice what what do i do when i feel sad what do i do when my mom triggers me what do i do when my kids are being too loud because there's habits there that we can actually look at and face and that's a great um just place to start at least for me and it's a humbling place to start because your habits and what you do with with all your feelings you know, it's not, it's not maybe what we would have chosen. It's something that we kind of accumulated over time, um, just kind of probably absentmindedly uh, in our early years that we now can face and begin to make decisions about. Yeah, what really connected to me in this session, as well as that story of the kids, because um, it's a powerful metaphor for our experience in life, right? that we think we don't recognize that the joy is in the journey, you know, and we're constantly concerned about these things. And like Jan and Brett and you have referred to is that our, uh, Jack talks about our, our sense of grasping aversion or, uh, or delusion affecting our experience and being manifest in habits that are dysfunctional. Um, What I was thinking about is uh, not this week, but this, the week after my wife and I are going to go spend a week in Glacier National Park, and we're really excited to, to go there. We've been through the park before, but we haven't done, you know, spent a week there and and with intention gone on particular hikes and so forth. So we've done this planning. We figured out which hikes we're going to go on. Uh, we got our tickets to be able to drive going to the Sun Road uh, a couple months ago uh, when the window opened up. Um and, and as I was listening to this session, as I was thinking of the dysfunction that happens with our habits when we operate uh, from a standpoint of grasping aversion or delusion, that, that that fits into what our experience could be or, or could be different this next week when we go to Glacier. You know, imagine hiking the, one of the most beautiful places in the world and one of the most amazing hikes that you could ever go on. And, and coming to that experience with grasping aversion and delusion. So grasping like you're all upset, you're not going to get enough, that you're all angry about whether or not you got the right parking space, that there's too many people on the road, you're all looking at the shortfall of everything, or, or you're dealing it with an aversion type of standpoint, you know, with the and I'm referring to that with the judging and so forth, or with this this sense of delusion that that uh, that you just miss it, you know, as opposed to being mindful to the experience of going on that hike and sharing that experience with someone you love to experience the sight, the sound, the touch, maybe even the taste and the smell of the mindfulness of that experience of those precious several hours on a hike to see a view, a vista, an experience, to connect with nature in a way that is just absolutely amazing. Uh, And having that experience with grasping aversion and delusion and not even realizing it because it's a habit and it destroys your experience or your experience is so filtered that you just miss it. And um, that that too is a metaphor for life, right? Our, our, the joy is in the journey. The, the hike might not be as beautiful as one of these, you know, to Avalanche Lake or the Grinnell Glacier or whatnot. It might not be that every time, moment of your life. In fact, it's not going to be. But if you're approaching it with these 
kinds of dysfunctions and habits, you're just going to miss it. And it, that's not freedom. So anyway, that's those are my thoughts. Um, yeah, I'll piggyback off of both of these uh, these guys. I, um, you know, one of the things that Jack said in this at the very beginning was that basically all the teachings of the Dharma, all of the the Buddhist teachings, have a similar taste. He just called it this, you know, this underlying taste, and that taste is what Anthony just mentioned. It's freedom, and I'm just noticing this in my own journey right now. I've gone back into therapy, which I haven't done in decades. Um, than any kind of individual therapy. And um, I'm just struck by how the, the Buddhist psychology dovetails with the kind of psychology, you know, therapy that we do in this country and how, um, how uh, complementary it all is. You know, I'm, uh, what I'm doing is exactly what Brittany was talking about. I'm looking back to my childhood. I'm looking at all of the, the assumptions that I have about myself and how, my habits have um, developed out of these senses of um, of uh, the desire and aversion and delusion, and and really the power is in naming this. And the thing that strikes me about this is, you know, so many people we think about Buddhism, and this may not be the first thing we think of. We think more of mysticism, or we think of a religion, or we think of you know the karma and reincarnation and the and meditation and these things. But really, at the basis of it, this this piece that we're talking about is actually quite scientific. You know, this is this is trying to get down to the reality of what is within a person. You know, this is something that the scientific method um, has been it's been difficult to apply. I think we do our best, but humans are a little more squishy than that. <laughs> Human behavior is a little more difficult to pin down with our, our methods. But I think this uh, Buddhist psychology is the best that we've got when it comes to trying to figure ourselves out because we're getting down to what is. We're noticing these very tangible things, these senses, and what is happening with that. And what is driving that? And um, what is it that I'm wanting in this moment? And how is that driving my what is happening and showing up in my life, in my habits, in my in my overeating, in my shopping, in my Netflix binging, in my you know substance using, <laughs> um, in my irritability with my family, in my all of the ways that um, in my procrastination. That's a huge one for me. You know, showing up for myself and my procrastination and stopping long enough to ask myself what is going on. But, um, but I love that. I love that that the Buddha. Um, I've heard him called one of the world's first psychologists, right? Because he's. It's actually very similar to psychotherapy, which is let's just get down to what is going on in my life and let's pay close enough attention and deep enough attention to actually do something with this. Mm. Let, let's take a little detour because you hit on something that, so Britt mentioned uh, alcohol and you mentioned substances and Britt mentioned chocolate and, and there are all these things in the world that we can accentuate what we're doing. And if I'll be a little vulnerable, I've used magic mushrooms in the past. I did ayahuasca once and um, I, I want to maybe mention this because we all come from a system. And so a lot of these listeners are made up from folks that came from that system that had rules about what you could take into your body or what you couldn't. And we have this idea that, you know, having the snack or drinking the drink, like 
some of these things do accentuate the present moment. There's nothing, there's nothing better than for me, a piece of dark chocolate. Oh my goodness. And uh, last night I was at a bar with uh, some friends. We were all sitting close. There was like this, this connection and um, uh, intimacy and good conversation. And we're listening to a live band play and threw a few Mike's hard lemonades back. And that's kind of my drink of choice is something sweet. And, um, had a few of those and had a little buzz going and the music was beautiful. I want to be clear to the audience that maybe there's nothing wrong with accentuating the present moment as much as possible while also being responsible to it. Do you have any thoughts there? Cause I think this is an important little sidetrack. Do you have I any have, thoughts on these things? I have one. I have a story that comes to mind. I believe it's Ram Das, Ram Das, um, where he, you know, is famous for, kind of being part of the LSD movement. And he got to the point where in order to be kind of experience that feeling of oneness, right? Oneness with all life, which is a really beautiful feeling to be a part of and really good for your mental health. But in order for him to get there, he got to the point where he was on LSD all of the time. So all of the time. So he goes to India, right? He's got a handful of LSD pills in his pocket and of course, you know, meets a guru who just kind of throws it in the trash and just says, you know, you don't, you don't need to do this all the time to feel, to, to do this practice. Right. And so that, that, that was always just an interesting story to me. And so, um, so I just love this idea of, you know, knowing enough about yourself to know why are you doing this? Are you going to do mushrooms with friends because it's, it's a very spiritual oneness kind of experience? Or are you on LSD 24 hours a day because you cannot handle life without it, right? You can't get there without it. Are, you know, for me, are you enjoying a piece of dark chocolate, which is a fantastic part of being human, just a fantastic part of being fantastic, human, right? Yes. Fantastic part of being human. Or am I like stuffed and making myself sick, forcing M&Ms down my throat because I'm feeling stressed because my mom's in my house, which is not actually really that pleasurable. It's just me not dealing with my feelings. So, you know, your the intent and why you're doing things and, um, the balance and the responsibility, you know, all those things come into play for how to enjoy pleasures, enjoy the full spectrum of the human experience um, without becoming dependent, without getting to the point where you're not just watching a movie where you can't function without your phone and your headphones being on because now now you're using it for aversion, you, aversion reasons. So, you know, it, it just takes a lot of self-awareness to say, what am I doing and why am I doing it? Yeah, that, that's deep stuff. Like, if you're going to put music on, put music on that either you love that just has you smiling or put music on that's moving you to think about other things in your life. But maybe sometimes just folding the laundry without putting music on is the meditation that you need. And so it really is just being present with yourself and knowing what you need in that moment. Um, Because there isn't a rule. There isn't a rule about what's good or what's bad. It's all myth and it's all arbitrary constructs. And you're simply trying to show up in the world being and becoming the best human you can and enjoying the hell out of it when you can, right? And sitting with shiz when it doesn't go right and not letting it disrupt your world. 
Yeah, I think it's a, it's about being awake, right, to what we're doing and why we're doing. It. It's the intention. I, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I often yeah. notice that the same things. There's a lot of talk about self care in our world today, which I think is a really great thing. Um, but the the very same activity that is self care can also be aversion. And I notice this in myself. Um, one of my big vices is Netflix. Right? If I sit down and I'm in aversion, I will binge watch three seasons of something. And at the end, I feel no more resourced than I was at the beginning. And I didn't really enjoy it. I mean, I kind of did, but but it's a very different experience when I sit down and say, oh my gosh, everyone's out of the house. I don't have anything on my plate that I have to get done right this second. I'm going to sit down and watch my favorite show. And I'm just going to give myself that treat. And it's a, I can watch a couple of episodes of something with that intent and actually the pleasure I got from it is heightened because I was present for it and I was doing it for a reason and I was rewarding myself and I feel far more resourced when I'm done with it. So I do the exact same thing. It's both watching Netflix, but coming at it from two different places, it, it's a completely different experience and it actually heightens the pleasure of the thing that you're doing. Mm. Amen. I could tell the same story about watching a boxing match once in a while and, and doing just something that, yeah, just not making it take over your life, but making it this piece of your life that gives you a moment to step away from other parts of your life. Like you have one life to live. And again, we can debate what's on the other side, but you have one life to live. And how are you going to make use of it? And the days like you and the days I sit at my house and play video games for six hours, I'm having fun while playing. And the moment I'm done, I go like, oh my God, like that was a waste of a whole day. Like let's, let's do something else, but let's also play video games. Ah, yep. oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, any other thoughts, Anthony, anything from you on that point before I grab the next thing? Yeah. I mean, it's common to say that the answers are both and, you know, that, that these kinds of things can enhance our sense of presence. Like obviously if you're with friends listening to music, that conversation, that shared experience of music, of being together helps facilitate an experience of being present. And also sometimes, whether it's alcohol or whatnot, that also can have an experience of facilitating that sense of connection and being present. So it can be both that and it can be aversion and escapist, or it can be greed and grasping for sensual things at the same time. So the key is mindfulness. It, 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 it's to every now and then sit back and go, okay, um, I'm curious about the feelings that I'm having. I'm curious about the experience that I'm having. And I'm curious about the the motivations for why, why am I making these choices right now? Um, mm -hmm. So that we're doing it with thoughtfulness rather than out of habit. Yeah. I, I think understanding this process, I think it's easier to see this stuff and to access it and to make good use of it, especially when things are good. It feels so much easier when I'm in the middle of a good moment to go, yeah, like this is a good moment right here. Wow. Um, I think it's way harder when it's the difficult moments. And he tells a story. Jack Kornfield talks about um, Nazi Germany and, and uh, Jewish concentration camps. And he says, there's, he says, there's, it's not like there's everyone, but there's always a few people who seem to be able to make the best of that horrible circumstance. And they're the ones who are going around and checking on everyone else and lifting them up in some way. And he mentions giving them their last piece of bread. And 
I think what I'm what I want, what I don't have yet, is a strong ability to be present and okay, or to be okay with not being okay in the harder moments. And I'm just curious, as as he was talking about that, and as maybe you think about your own lives, is there any advice you have or any thoughts you have? Like again, I know we're we're hitting on this process, but when my mom was dying of cancer and I was sitting in the hospice center watching it happen and watching her starve to death over like an 11 day period or whatever it was, it was, um, there were moments where I tried to go like, Hey, this is life. This is life. And I just had a grandson born two months earlier. And I thought, wow, like there is some, you know, like the, like in the earlier episode where the teacher talked to the students and said, why are all these things dead? And they, the kids put two and two together on their own and said, these things have to die so that there's space for new things to come forth. And that seemed to kind of hit at what's going on. So like we, you know, the four of us, we understand like people do have to die and and new people are born and it is life. But in the midst of all that hard stuff, it's hard to be present and it's hard to be okay with not being okay. Um, any thoughts from the three of you on what helps you to be more present in the hard moments? Like, I'd like to think I'm the the wise person in the Jewish concentration camp, but maybe I'm just in a corner cradled in the fetal position, just crying every day. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm with you that that last thing you said, Bill. Um, I think I, I grew up feeling like I had to be the person in the concentration camp that was there for everybody else. And it actually, that need to be something other than exactly what I was feeling and turned to actually to self-loathing for being the one over in the corner crying. And, um, you know, I just, I just watched a documentary that I highly recommend to people when and if it becomes available again for people. It's one that they've released a couple of times for, um, you can watch it free of charge, but it's called The Wisdom of Trauma. Um, and you can go to thewisdomoftrauma.com uh, to, to find information about this, this documentary. I don't know when it will be available again for viewing. But I highly recommend it. Um, one of the the uh, the really poignant things that I and I wrote down the quote from it because it was very poignant. It it concentrates on people with substance abuse issues, the, the homeless, people who are, are in prison, um, and really all of us talking about how trauma has informed us and how the adverse experiences of our life have informed what happens. And one of the things that they said in it is that one of the things that would fundamentally shift the way that we relate to one another in the society, she said, we've got to start seeing each other for what happened to us, not what's wrong with us. And I think the trick there is that when you're in the concentration camp or when you're in just the, the throes of life, when things are really, really hard, rather than beating ourselves up for not being that person, it's, it's noticing that person, having an appreciation for that person. Certainly, we can hold these things as, as ideals. And it's going into ourselves and noticing why it isn't us. Why is that not me right now? Because there are really good reasons why it's not me right now. That, that's when we're able to, to bring some actual love and compassion and reality to our own lives. Yeah. I had a thought, just something that... Um helps me to refocus when the experience that I'm in is suffering, right, or is pain. Um, and this is heavy stuff, Bill, and I appreciate you taking us here. Um, uh, one of the practices that I do is to 
you know, you first kind of sit with it. Where do I feel this on my body? Well, I feel, I feel something in my throat that feels like I'm going to cry. I feel like I, there's something on my chest where I can't breathe. You know, I, I can, so you kind of check in with your body and what you're feeling. But then, um, what I do is just what, what, what is being born from this pain? What is coming from this? So when I'm sitting with someone who's, who's sick in the hospital, and I'm feeling pain, what is being born in this pain? Because if you look for something there, I can always find something, something that it's life, right? If something is dying, something is coming to life. And so when something is painful, something is dying, a relationship is ending, someone's life is ending. Um, if you look, there's also life somewhere too. And I find that to be a really, um, great way of balancing myself when I feel like I'm just in it, like I'm just in suffering. Um, and so for chronic pain or something like that, you know, what is being born out of this? Oh, I'm much more compassionate, right? Or I'm much more appreciative of, of my health or, or if someone's dying, you know, I'm just much more appreciative of the time that I have with them. Um, and I just think it's such a beautiful practice to just kind of always look for if you're in a in a place of death and suffering, something is coming to life there that that can be really beautiful and and a a full part of the human experience um, if you look for it. And that kind of helps balance me out when I'm just kind of really in it. Mm. Yeah, this really fits into the conversation in terms of how do we react with these things that he's talking about, like greed or grasping, aversion, being judgmental, being deluded or oblivious to things. And he uses the word confusion too. Like he, he uses he, confusion yeah, yeah, yeah. as the opposite of freedom. And, 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 but the, what he expresses explains here is that the more we grasp, the more sorrow we experience. Um, the, the more that we react with these habits, um, the more difficult the experience is. So a couple of things that he s talks about, he asks, who are you when you are not defined by wanting? Um, he says, imagine meeting people for who they are rather than an experience of wanting or judging them when you're with them. He asks, how do we touch the sorrows of life? When, when are we identified by our weaknesses or by our insecurities or by our sense of seeking for control, as opposed to approaching things that our identity is, is, would be our, he doesn't say our identity is our being, but that's what Eckhart Tolle would say is our identity is our being. Um, but uh, Jack talks about approaching things, very difficult things with a sense of mindfulness and gratitude that it takes deep strength to be able to sit with something and let go to love trust to come from a place of forgiveness compassion and attention and and you've alluded to we all came from a, a system and it and it's not you know limited to the system of the faith tradition that we were born out of um, it's very common in Western culture that we experience discomfort and then we try to fix it and so when people are experiencing pain or sorrow, we, we, we try to, rather than sit within it, with them in it, we try to fix it. Like we, we try to make it transactional. We, rather than just 
sometimes the best thing to do is say, you know, I don't really have any great answers, but I want you to know that I'm here for you now and I'm going to sit with you in this and that I love you and I am so deeply grateful to be with you in this experience. That's very different than trying to co-opt their story and attribute meaning to their experience in a way to try to fix it because we're coming from a belief system where discomfort means that it's not from God. That goes back to what you said earlier about freedom and and the concentration camp story. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, when you're in the concentration camp, your entire external world is controlled, right? And so the ultimate freedom in that moment, the ultimate freedom maybe any human could have ever experienced was to say, when the whole world around me is treating me like I'm inhumane, I'm going to give my last piece of bread to someone. And I feel that my belly is hungry. And I feel that my body doesn't want to do this. And I feel like there's a part of my mind that doesn't want to do this. But that ultimate act of pure freedom to say, I'm going to choose to be who I want to be, even when the world around me is literally going to like is is just the most hellish experience on earth that is ultimate freedom yeah i love that brit that's you know jack talked about that that ultimate freedom is our ability to choose within ourselves how we are going to react that's the one thing that we we always have that freedom if we're awake enough to understand what's going on and and that's why this is the path to freedom, right? If you're if you're noticing these things, and it's it's helpful to have these guideposts of desire and aversion and delusion. It helps gives us something to point to that of what where it's going awry. But the freedom comes from paying attention to it, noticing, oh, I am in aversion. Then what that opens up is we get to soften into something like self compassion or love. That that gives us that choice. Then when we notice, if we don't notice, we're just reacting and we're not free. But if we are noticing, then we can say, okay, I'm feeling desire here, but how can I transmute that into generosity? Here, here's now I'm 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 in delusion. I'm noticing the things that I'm I'm just I'm waking up to some things that I wasn't even aware of. That how do I transmute that into wisdom to move into something positive in my life? Yeah. So this may sound weird. I didn't plan on saying this. This just came up as you guys were talking. But um, hanging around my friends. And some of those friends I know better and some of those friends I know a little less and getting to know them better. And most of these folks are married couples. These are people who have their history with each other and they have their own rituals with each other. They have their own way of um, handling the disturbances that they're giving each other. And it's actually really cool in this kind of mindset to sit with your friends when you've come into their life late in the game where you have some of your shit worked out and you don't have the same history with them. And so you get to be this, I don't know how to explain it other than to say a safe person that they get to interact with and they get to step out of um, their patterns because you're not following up their comment with a poke or a criticism. They're not coming back at you with anything and I, you get to be, if you're really cool, like if you're really in touch with this, you get, you get to notice that they're interacting with you different than they do their partner. And you're giving them the space to not feel judged or shame, which we can't help in our relationships. My wife and I, we're screwing it up almost daily. Um, we have a great marriage. And yet there's probably once every two weeks where for about a five minute to an hour span, we wonder if we're ever going to make this work and be with each other, right? 
And sometimes my wife says something and I know she's saying that thing because of my history of manipulating or causing shame. So now I see her showing up in a way that, oh, it just points to, oh, it points to how hard I was on her. And, and it's fun to kind of step into these other connections with people and not have all that baggage and get to let somebody just show up in their humanity and not, and get to just be them. And I think when you talk about like being aware, like, okay, I'm hungry too. Like we all have needs to tell our story and to get what we want from whatever relationships we have in our life. It's fun sometimes just to sit back and let that piece of you. That's just a little smarter, a little wiser, make space for people to have the greatest evening of their week because you just listened and you just asked questions and you got the chance to kind of just make them feel really good for an evening. Um, anyway, I just think some of this stuff can be really magical when you, when you let it happen and you're aware that it's happening. Um, uh, anyway, just me rambling for a moment. It was, it was one of those moments, uh, I've had several moments this week, but one of those moments last night, hanging out with friends and just, I see my wife and I's patterns. I see their patterns. And by talking to one of them in our own conversation, they were allowed to not be in those patterns for a little bit. Yeah, I think one of the things you're pointing to, Bill, and I think this is so important, is to protect spaces in our lives where we can pull ourselves out of the day-to-day grind, out of the day-to-day relationships, so that we can get perspective of these things. Because when you're in the battlefield, sometimes it's we don't have the space. We don't have the space to self-reflect. We don't have the space to to notice our patterns. We don't have the space for that. And when you have these lighter moments, these lighter places, whether it's with friends or with yourself or with nature or with however you do that, I think there are a million ways to get that, to pull yourself out of the day-to-day, but it's so important to do it. And then it's really important to take what you're, what you're resourcing yourself with there and bring those lessons back to our long-term relationships because our long-term relationships, whether it's family, a significant other, friends, whatever, um, you're right. Those patterns have been built up. Those habits, that's where they show up. This is Relationship can be our biggest teacher. It's, the, it's a big opportunity for us to, to go inward and say, oh, yep, that's, that person is triggering all my stuff all my stuff. <laughs> it's bringing up all of those habits from the time I was a child. Um, so it's a fruitful place. But if we're always doing that, if that's always where we are, we're not going to make much traction. I think we have to have those lighter moments. Yeah. Jack calls that sacred presence. Being I had aware. a reminder. I had a reminder of the what you were saying, Jenna, recently. So in Boise, there's a group of women therapists that are friends of mine and They've found that they needed to get together because when they're with their friends or family or at work, they have a certain kind of therapist hat on, right, of asking certain questions and being that person that they just kind of, they put on that hat and that hat kind of gets stuck. And so they, in this group of therapists, and I met them for lunch, and it was it was this group of women who rarely have a space because they're the person with the hat on for the most of their professional life and a lot of their friendships that they took off the hat just to say my marriage is really rough right now or I like I thought I believed this and I don't believe this anymore and I don't know what to do and my kids mad and just to be like fully human and so it was just so humbling to me to see these therapists women that I really look up to who really have resources and they're they understand this even they need to get away um from from the habits that they have um, in order to sit at lunch with someone and say, 
my marriage is rough right now and I need some, I need, I need some outside advice or whatever it is. Um, and that was just really humbling for me that even, even the most amazing women that I just sometimes imagine just must have no problems with their personal lives, um, need those moments to be fully human too. Yeah. Mm. We've gone a little long here. I, I, I love all of that. And I, I know there's, I mean, I've got, I've got like eight other notes that we're not going to touch on today, but let me at least finish with this one, which is he kind of concludes that to be Buddha and I'm, and I'm going to screw this up. So please come in and, and add your, your two cents and kind of round this up. Um, to be Buddha is to be unconnected from everything. And what that means to me is to just realize you are not any of those things. You're not your taste. You're not your smell. You're not what you're seeing. You're not what you're hearing. You're not even what you're thinking. That you are something else. So you're unconnected from everything because you're not any of those things. But you also are connected to everything because you are part of this universe. And so is everyone else and every other thing, inanimate or animate object in your world. And your consciousness plays the trick of telling you that you are something separate. The, the, the voice in your head that says you are Jana Spangler, you are Anthony Miller, you are Brittany Hartley. And who you are is, is to be honest, it's lying to you. You are one with everything and you are none of it. And to, to be Buddha is that in the sense that you're not any of those things you're, and he kind of uses this right at the end, because I think that mindset mindset is trying to teach us to disconnect from associating ourselves as being something. And that association, recognizing it and disconnecting from it is part of this sacred presence. Your guys' thoughts. I would just want to end with, you know, we talked about grasping and aversion and delusion and so the opposite of those when you're trying to get away from living with those three things is kind of your base. Um, the three words he used were openness. So just kind of a curiosity and an openness to what the fullness of life is and could be. And then clarity. So am I looking, am I trying my best to look at things as they really are? And then love. Can I, can I understand this person enough that I can see that they're just as worthy as, of love as I think that I am. And, um, you know, those, I, I don't claim to be really <laughs> succeeding in any three of those, um, but I love this idea of just trying to shift, shift from living from a place of grasping for the next thing, averting pain, delusion, to openness, clarity, and then coming from a place of, can I can I look at this person as someone really deserving of love, um, and that that is that is a sweet you know that's a shift of where your your operating system. It's a shift of your personal operating system, and that's where you're headed towards ultimate freedom and and joy and uh, relationships that are just really fueled by love instead of your own ego messing up with greed and jealousy and all those things that get in the way from from just loving and being loved, which is the greatest human thing you can experience, which is to love and be loved. Amen. I love that. You know, I, I see this going both ways in, in a lot of the, the work that I do in my, in my life coaching, you know, there are uh, many of us and, and it's all us at the same time. We have different times in our lives where it's like, I really need to reach out and see this other person as, as, having worth. I also see it really commonly where people can't attach to their own worth and they actually have to see someone else that they admire and notice 
their worth and notice the the compassion that they can have for them and their weakness before they can even they they have to use that as a tool to then be able to reflect back to themselves their own worthiness. You know, Tara Brock, who um, who is one of the she's a really beautiful voice of someone who is bringing together psychology and this buddhist thought and buddhist psychology and um she she talks about how in our society we have an epidemic of she calls it the trance of unworthiness because of some of those forces i spoke about earlier of just the achievement mentality in our society um and so I think it's really important, you know, what, what Bill is talking about here in, in attaching to our Buddha nature. Um, and that's a phrase that I've really kind of hung on to as I've been introduced to some of this Buddhist thought is this idea of Buddha nature. Um, because it's, it's, a, it's a new enough phrase for me that I, it, it means something to me, I guess. I, I have enough psychic distance from it. But it's the way that I can start to counteract that trance of unworthiness within myself is to notice this Buddha nature that, that really um, does exist within all of us and all of creation. If we look for it, it's that, that, um, that sacred, that divine. Um, and the reason, the way that I attach to it and know that it's there when I'm in my worst places, doubting that it exists within me, all I have to do is notice that what I respond to is, um, what inspires me in this world, I start noticing those things. It's love, it's connection, it's inspiring stories of people overcoming. <laughs> like, I think that's something we all tend to have in common as human beings. If you start to notice the, the, um, the things that we really, that really help us feel good and that we can, we can do good in the world, we all have access to this deep kind of reservoir of love and goodness inside of us. I really believe that. Um, so if we start to notice that, if we start to notice that Buddha nature, start to notice um, more more about how we've moved for, through the world and what has happened to us, rather than what I'm screwing up again this time, um, it's it's a huge thing to start to notice um, the stories we've been, we've been telling ourselves about our nature and tapping into this really beautiful Buddha nature. There's really something to this. And I think it's one of the harder, the harder things for us to grasp, but it's one of the things that I notice every wisdom tradition, and especially the, the contemplative traditions point to, is this, this existence of a true self, of, of a Buddha nature, of a big heart, big mind, something inside us that can transcend the, the, the minutia of the experience that we're living in in the world. Yeah, Eckhart Tolle has another, you know, kind of set of words to describe uh, what we're talking about here. He talks about attachment to form and attachment to form can be attachment to um, a belief or a paradigm that our worthiness is based on those forms um, and that we're either falling short or with a sense, another sense of ego that we are worthy because we're attached to those forms. Like it, it, it's dysfunctional either way, this attachment to form. And then the disattachment form, from form is is recognizing that our being is is separate from our forms that our being is inherently worthy and part of something greater than ourselves and uh and it takes work to shed the ego it takes work and mindfulness and contemplative practices to disattach from form um, in terms of how we view our worthiness um 
but I would say I would add that the power is not only in in recognizing that we are part of a greater organism, you know, that we are being as part of something that is inherently worthy just because it exists. Um, but but another part of that experience is recognizing that every human being we meet is the same. Like they are inherently worthy just because they exist um, in spite of their forms for good or bad. Um, it, it, it changes our experience with other human beings as well. I, I love that. You meet somebody and you you meet somebody and you're like, okay, there's, there's a cool person. I, I want to get to know them. And as you get to know anybody, you spend enough time, you start to see their blind spots and their flaws and their uh, mechanisms and, you know, what the pieces of them that aren't healthy. And yet they're, and they're doing the same thing with you, by the way. And, and then they're, if you're in this space where you're thinking this way, you start to sense they're just you under a different set of circumstances, born with a different set of predispositions with different trauma throughout the history of their ancestors and and then you start to see like when they do something, you go like, oh, I, I get like I get why they do that. They're they're just doing them the best they can, just like I'm doing me the best I can. It makes you appreciate the sacredness of not just being a human being, but the sacredness of life. And I love it. Earlier, Anthony, you mentioned um born out of the system we all came from. And I when you first said it, I thought, did he say that right? Like, cause I was born, maybe some of us were born into the no, no, no. But I think you nailed it. We are all, as we're awakening, we're all being born out of whatever was before. And I thought that phrase was just beautiful. I wanted to mention it again because it, it really stuck to me as you said it earlier. The three of you are brilliant and I love you three to pieces. Um, thanks for your time. I know we went a little bit over an hour this time, but what a good conversation. I, I hope people are listening to this stuff because it's so. this is the kind of stuff I want to get up on Sunday morning and have the three of you and we'll just jump in the hot tub. We'll have to wait a little bit because it's Southern Utah and it's 115 degrees here, but jump in the hot tub, uh, have a cup of coffee and just talk like this for hours. I, this is the kind of stuff I love, but thank you three for your time today. Any other last thoughts before we, uh, before we end it? No, it's great talking about this stuff. Um, you know, it's even though the words are coming out of our mouths, you know, it's just like a lesson back to yourself because, Mm. you know, I just, I feel inspired for what I want to do today. I feel just so gracious to have you guys in my corner. And um, so it's the kind of sermons or it's the kind of lessons that you give that you, you know, you're just teaching yourself because we're all in this process and we're not, and we're all on the struggle bus with it as humans. And so I feel very inspired on my Sunday. So I appreciate that bill. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I agree. This is one of this is one of those spaces where I get to come out of my life and get resourced and talk about, good and important things and remind myself um, of all of the things that I know, but it's going to take me my entire life to get it into my bones. So I'm grateful for this time as well. Love Elegantly expressed. Yeah. We get to, we get to explore and learn ourselves. We get to express and then we get to have it mirrored back to us all in a great experience. It's totally worth it. I have been smiling the whole time. So thank you three for making for a great morning for me. And like you three are all pointing to and Now I, I feel ready to go take on my day in a different way now. So thank you. Um, thank you a lot. All right. I'll, I'll let it go. I'm not going to end here. Be crying. All right. Have a great day. Take it easy. Bye.